and welcome to Westchester Words UK. I'm Rosie Stewart, Editorial and Pre-Press Director at River Editorial, a division of Westchester Publishing Services UK. At Westchester, we work with over 500 clients across many different areas, and today we're focusing on our work with foundations, institutes and charitable organisations. I am delighted to welcome two guests to this discussion. Joining us today, we have Tyler Carey, Chief Revenue Officer of Westchester Publishing Services in the US, and Julie Willis, my fellow editorial and pre-press director at River Editorial, based here in the UK. Welcome, Tyler and Julie. So let's kick off with our first question. Can you both tell us a bit about your experience working with these types of organisations? Sure. Thanks for having me, by the way, Rosie. Um, yeah, so my background was in um, legal publishing and custom publishing, often with nonprofits, um, before joining Westchester. So there were a lot of analogs in my prior work that lend themselves to understanding the needs of nonprofits and policy organizations. Uh, there's a lot of overlap with the needs of legal publishers as well, and also a lot of that kind of comms type needs that nonprofits have in their content that they share with uh, their members or donors and others uh, within their communities. I've worked with specialist institutions for civil engineering and building services engineering, producing their reports and publications. I also work with a rail uh, network operator managing the proofreading of documents prepared for the Department of Transport. And I have another client that's an independent social change organisation working to solve UK poverty. I produce their reports aimed at policymakers and the public. That is so interesting. Thank you both so much. It sounds like you've certainly been keeping busy and you have a very broad range of experience between you. So um, you've both mentioned reports and policy documents. Um, what other types of material are you seeing in this area? Is there growth in particular areas? Uh, so there was a boom of infographics several years mm -hmm. back where a lot of policy groups were trying to put out things that they felt were um, visually digestible very quickly to take complex topics and you know put them into a visual frame. Um, that mm -hmm. seems to be being replaced again with shorter form white papers and reports by a lot of the clients, the, the dozens of policy groups that we serve within Westchester's um, U.S. headquarters. Um, there's still a tremendous emphasis on data viz uh, or data visualization that kind of gets married with um, another topic, which is that in the States, we have a government requirement called plain language, uh, which I understand there's similar requirements in the U.K. and EU. Mm -hmm. Uh, and for plain language in the states, basically any public-facing government document uh, or content needs to have a summarized, easy-to-understand summary or adapted version that's jargon-free and makes the points clearly for the public. Mm, that's interesting. We've come back around to jargon again, which seems to be um, coming up again as quite a quite a key role in this. And the the idea of data visualization. Julie, did you have any thoughts to add to that point? Yeah. Um Tyler did mention that a lot of um, the reports he's dealing with are published online. There are a lot of my clients that only publish their reports online. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that um, they have to be accessible. Um, so with, mm -hmm. the, with the reports that do have figures in, and often there are quite a few figures that we redraw as well, um, we also have to have alt text provision um, so that screen reading software can read them out, read out the descriptions of the figures. Mm -hmm. um, other outputs are short guides um, available in PDF format to download and they're often behind a paywall and for the rail operator the reports vary in size and complexity but they're all output into a PDF and delivered to the Department of Transport in that way. 
Mm, it's so much so important to think about the end user here, isn't it? There seems to be lots of emphasis from both of you about um, who is going to be using this product and will it be understandable and increasingly will it be accessible? Um, and we're no longer just seeing the same types of repeated products that we maybe would have seen in the past. We're seeing lots more variation. So what sorts of skills and expertise do you think are particularly relevant to this type of work? Tyler, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I certainly don't have the editorial depth that uh, you and Julie do, so I'll defer to her on the, the editorial side, <laughs> um, but at, on the nuts and bolts of, of how it all should work. But I, I can just say from the kind of client management side, um, what we're often being asked for are editors who have a keen understanding of how policymakers and the public will consume this content. Mm -hmm. um, they the clients in the space and the policy group space really want um, strong skills brought to the table to help with these sorts of publications specifically, not just kind of editors who might be able to handle a variety of content. They really prefer specialists. So it's something mm -hmm. where we spend a lot of time building a very deep bench of uh, editors, freelancers, proofreaders, indexers, designers who are used to handling this kind of content. Mm -hmm. And and it is a different skill set in some cases, rather than say, you know, developmentally editing and managing a children's book project, which has its own challenges and opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, Julie, I know a lot of your work is quite specialist as well. So um, have you come up against the same kind of needs? Yeah, I mean, I did sort of, I didn't go it when I was thinking about how to um, respond to this um, question. I didn't think about the specialist editorial needs. I sort of took those for granted, really. But the first thing we have to do is immerse ourselves in the house style. And for some institutions, that can be a book in itself. Mm. Um, and sometimes, actually, initially, we will work with um, an institution or an organisation on their house style just to hone it a little bit and mm -hmm. make sure that it makes sense for us. And then once we've sort of got a handle on that and we've got editorial staff that are committed to that particular account, obviously we've, as a, as a group, got to manage that large number of freelancers as well as the stakeholders within the institutions. And there can be quite a few, as I alluded to earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to have really good organisational skills and remember that the stakeholders in the institutions are sometimes not well, mostly actually, and they're not publishing professionals themselves. Mm. And so we need to get across our, our expert knowledge whilst obviously respecting the client specialist knowledge and needs as well. So it's a balance between not interfering with the work too much, but making it, um, polishing it and giving advice on layout, punctuation, grammar, readability, and also managing the schedules, of course. <laughs> And advising mm. on that yeah so it's really it's really a collaboration isn't it it's really um making sure that we can bring the best out of the out of the work that the client has done and advising them on the areas that we specialize in while very much deferring to their um, unique place in their own marketplace so we've this has come up a lot already but just to really drill into it can you tyler could you share a bit more about the challenges that these types of projects bring well, I think Julie was spot on talking about the schedules. Um, mm. and kind of, I mean, dive deeper into that. Um, I mean, quick schedules can be a challenge for any publication, but you know, we we work around that by building a dedicated, trained, skilled bench of freelancers and staff for each of these clients who really know their particular content needs, style, and vernacular. That's something that makes it possible for us to take a 120-page white paper, let's say, or a report 
that might normally need two months of time if we did a traditional publishing schedule and we can condense it down to as short as one to two weeks if needed, uh, which mm -hmm. makes it possible for very urgent information to make it to the public and policymakers while still using the appropriate tools to ensure that editorial and production quality. Uh, you know, it's very exciting work we get to do in this area. And so being able to build a system that supports that kind of rapid turn, um, you know, has, has been something that's been uh, really exciting over the past several years. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it's a very fast-paced environment. Um, Julie, is there any other types of challenges that you've come across? Yeah, there are quite a few technical challenges. Um, a lot of non-publishers still work with Word templates, which can prove unstable and cause all manner of issues with the presentation of the text, for example. So mm. on the report I was working on recently, we had a blank page 22 that the client was seeing, but I wasn't seeing, and that was caused <laughs> by uploading to... Uh, a sharing site or at least we mm. think it was um, <laughs> we may never know <laughs> no <laughs> we've become very good at unpicking the messes that this can cause version control is um, part of that technical challenge and that also is affected by the number of stakeholders so we've had to develop robust processes and systems to ensure that we're always working on the correct version mm -hmm. and of course the tight turnaround times do exacerbate all of the above a little mm. um, but that's just the nature of the work and something that we have learned to to cope with mm -hmm. as Tyler says though it is exciting work and uh, just recently I was waiting for uh, Liz Truss's changes to UK policies and I was taking in those changes to a report as they were being made which felt quite important and relevant work and I was proud to play a small part in that. Yes I mean it really is up to the minute as we uh, just for those who might not know Liz Truss is the UK Prime Minister as of today and she has now resigned today so um, very you, much yes. up to the minute updates <laughs> <laughs> in this type of work which is what makes it so exciting. So there is one point that we haven't touched on, which I would like to touch on today. Just uh, just brief answers on this one, um, if you could, just to do with confidentiality. Um, this type of work can be highly sensitive um, and we're very aware of those needs. So Tyler, do you just have a few, a few comments to share about confidentiality and how we manage that? Sure. I wish Deb Taylor, our VP who oversees IT, was on because she could certainly talk <laughs> in great detail about all these security <laughs> protocols we have in place. You know, essentially, any work that Westchester handles through any of its divisions is always treated as highly confidential. Uh, you know, we're handling upcoming bestsellers in the trade market. We're handling academic titles that are going to be sold into the textbook market where, I mean, there's been concerns not within Westchester, of course, but I mean, there's been concerns just in the industry of the piracy of textbooks, uh, you know, mm -hmm. online editions, those things like that. But when you're dealing with policy content that can deal with, you know, national security and things, that there is a greater level of responsibility that a vendor like Westchester has to treat that content appropriately. So it is something where understanding a client's needs, is this something that is just going to be a public white paper that's going to be issued for anybody in the public to read? Or is this something that's mm -hmm. going to be behind closed door meetings? Um, you know, nothing so exciting as, you know, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, of course, but, you know, <laughs> there are certainly things that are, you know, more confidential than others. So we have to be very respectful of how that content is handled in house. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And Julie, I know you're really aware of this as well. Was there anything that you wanted to add from your side? I am NDA'd up to the eyeballs, <laughs> non-disclosure agreement to explain there. Um, so I, I'm not even naming my clients, as you may have noticed. We have security measures that we have to um, um, take part in and 
the documents are uh, deleted from our hard drives. We collect them and post them back to um, a specific site as well. And the freelancers that we use are also NDA'd to comply with that part of the security. Mm, thank you both. Thank you. Really appreciate your thoughts on that. That brings us to the end of our discussion. So thank you so much for joining me, Tyler and Julie. It's been brilliant chatting with you both and having this fascinating discussion. For more podcasts from Westchester Publishing Services UK, just search Westchester Words on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or find us on our website.